LeadSquared is a cutting-edge CRM platform for enrollment management. With LeadSquared, you will deliver a seamless student experience, streamline admissions processes, lower costs, and increase retention. Schedule a demo at LeadSquared.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. If you just listened to that intro, you might have uh, just had a moment of a thought that I forgot the podcast name of my own podcast, but no, I did not. There was a moment there that I it could have happened, but it didn't happen. I'm glad because my producer, Alvin Freitas, would have had me do it over again, and that always sucks when I have to go back and do something over. Uh, speaking of of things that suck but are also awesome at the same time, when this episode airs, I will have taken a 15-hour and 22-minute flight directly from LAX, Los Angeles Airport, to Doha, Qatar, or Qatar, depending on who you talk to. It'll be a long trip. Um, I'll tell you all about it when I get back. Um, luckily, I am in one of those little pods, the little business class pods. The Qatar Foundation has been so kind to Elvin and I to fly us out. We're very excited to record in person um, coming up in the next week, and uh, we'll let you know how it goes when we get back. You'll hear this episode probably when I get back, and so you know a week after that, then you'll hear about how tired I am and how much jet lag I have. Not that you care at all. So I'm going to go in, and instead of talking to you anymore about things you don't care about, I'm going to talk to you about something you should care about, and that's my special guest host today. He's a first-time guest host, and his name... Ladies and gentlemen, he is electric. His name is Julian Alcid, and he's Chief Marketplace Engagement Officer at Enmuddle. Julian, how you doing? There you go. I am electric. What can I say? Every this time you say great. it, you're going to get the shock. There you go. Well, I am honored to guest host with you today. Thank you so much for having me here. Do you have any idea what you're doing, Julian? Or you, do you feel confident? Do you feel a little uneasy? How do you feel about your first podcasting foray here? What? I'm feeling electric. I'm feeling great about it. I'm I'm especially enjoying looking at this blue Yeti mic that hey, I've purchased. You get the microphone, as a, huh? As a, as a as a nascent podcaster, and it is very impressive. Yeah, can, doesn't it make you feel when you get a microphone, especially the Yeti? It makes you feel professional immediately. <laughs> yeah. I, it sure does. Yeah, it's it's good. I love it. I have mine. Um, I can't use it, of course, because it doesn't plug into an audio interface. And without an <laughs> audio interface, then I couldn't do this. So I have to use a different microphone. Um, and and so, Julian, I'm really excited to have you. Uh, of course, Unmodel's doing great things, a great partner of the EdUp experience. And I know we're going to have a good conversation today because I know my guest. And she's also electric, but we're going to give her this instead. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jill Bubin. She's Vice President and General Manager of Edison Solutions at Bright Horizons. Jill, how are you? I'm great, Joe. I didn't realize what an audience we had today. Oh, they, when I told them you were coming, they just won't stop. It's like this, this thing's on repeat over and over again. I'm like, guys, it's Jill. She's cool. You don't have to stand the whole time. I'm so but glad they, they I prepared and dressed for the occasion. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you here, Jill. Um, I think it's been a long time coming. I feel like we should have done this a long time ago, don't you? I do, but the timing's right now. We're both in the States. We're both not at a conference and have some free time, and I get to um, meet the electrifying Julian, so it's perfect timing. Well, I'm glad that you think so. Well, we want to know about you, Jill. We want to know 
about Edisys Solutions um, at Bright Horizons. What is it for people that don't know? Level set this for us. If, if you're talking to somebody that didn't know Edisyst, um at all, what is it? How does it work? Why is it important to higher ed? Yeah, sure, Joe. So I joined Edassist about five months ago. It was a big leap for me, having been um, either at nonprofits or higher ed institutions for the past 15 years, um, but was really excited to be able to lead um, a company that serves almost 500,000 adult learners who are seeking their education through their um, workforce education benefit. So for over a decade now, Edisys Solutions has been in that um, tuition assistance, tuition reimbursement, no cost degree, uh, student, student loan support space, you name it. If there's an education benefit coming from a company, we support that. Um, so it's just so phenomenal to be able to work with, gosh, we have almost 230 um, of some of the country's largest uh, corporate um, clients. And we also work with about 220 education institutions around the country. So connecting those um, employee learners from our clients to the right educational opportunity, trying to drive down costs for students is just a phenomenal opportunity for me. That's incredible. Okay. So, uh, so ex let's, let's go into layman's terms here. So an employer says, um, Jill, we want to we want to create a benefit for our employees to go back and get an education. Mm -hmm. We want to use Edisist to facilitate that because we don't want to spend time vetting forty five universities. We want we want you to do that, and we want you to be the what the broker, the in between, the platform, and then absolutely you, you take them and go. Okay, here's how this works. So how does that work? Absolutely. So you hit the nail on the head, Joe. We do have a, a fairly robust platform for all of our employees. But we, you know, I think what's rung true to me through all of my, the calls I've had um, with current clients and prospective clients is the active relationship building um, throughout the process. So really listening to the client's needs and understanding um, how what they're using the benefit for. Is it to attract talent, retain talent? Do they um, believe in education and providing this benefit and letting their employees choose what path they want? Do they have a high need area to upskill a portion of their workforce to meet a high need? Um, and so we, we go through a series of conversations and questions and then bring together you know, kind of what we think the best in class program is for that client. It could be, um, you know, certificates, skills-based learning, MOOCs, all the way up through doctorate degrees. Um, so something we're working on now and are just talking to some clients are pathways we're creating so that the employee can, can see their kind of the career, financial, and aspirational mobility that education can provide them. Um, and employers, our clients can see how they can fill high need positions and how long it will take them to fill those positions. That's, uh, that's great. Thank you for that explanation. And before Julian, I'd like to bring you in, but before I do, I want to ask one more quick question. How much, uh, how much is proactive and how much is reactive, uh, for, for Edisys? Do you go to the company and say, Hey, look, fortune 500 company, you're not doing anything for your employees or, or you're not doing enough or. Are you sitting back and they, they go, 
employers coming to you now and saying, hey, look, we need to do more for our employees because they're leaving in droves and we need to provide more. How, what's that balance look like? Yeah, great question, Joe. I think there's a combination now, like for, and obviously there's been so much news in the press, the great resignation and how are we going to fill healthcare frontline worker positions? Um, so for current clients, it's thinking about how can we use this education benefit more wisely, not only to fill positions, but to retain their employees and to keep their employees satisfied. For prospective clients, I think it's a mix. We have a, a lot that come to us for solutions. Um, and then, of course, we have a phenomenal growth team um, that's doing a lot of outreach as well. But I can definitely say, I think, you know, the, the, the consistent daily focus on the workforce and how, <laughs> how we're going to fill jobs and fill the needs of so many employers has really, um, you know, turned a lot of eyes on on the education benefit. I feel like that's a good segue over to you, Julian. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, I couldn't have couldn't have uh, set me up better, Jill. First <laughs> of all, it's great it's great to meet you here on the pod. And um, and I you know I, I noted I noted this earlier today that we have over four hundred LinkedIn connections shared. So it's, I'm kind of amazed we haven't crossed paths. But I'm particularly interested in talking to you sort of as workforce expert to workforce expert. I mean, there aren't a lot of people, like I spent the last 30 years focused on workforce development. My, my work has been much more around sort of un and underemployed folks who are stuck because they don't mm -hmm. have the education learning they need. And I know you kind of have come at it a little bit more, it seems, looking at your profile from, you know, from sort of the, the workforce education side and in higher ed. And I'm really interested in your research um, I, I read your recent report on workforce education and equity, which is amazing data. And I'm super interested in hearing the highlights um, and particularly the high priority that Americans are placing on learning, you know, and, and, and employers who support their learning. Yeah, great question. So um, I did- way, that was data sorting there through Jill's research. <laughs> I, I, I was, was wondering, I was like, wait, did I turn on my data sorter? I know, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> That is great. Um, so I have, I've been in, um, yeah, the higher ed space for over 15 years. My focus has always been on adult learners. So I, when I came into post-secondary ed, it was the working adult learner that really um, both kept me up at night and kept me um, going at work. So trying to solve their needs at scale is just a phenomenal opportunity. In, and it is odd that we haven't met Julian. So I'm glad that Joe put us together. Um, in regard to our recent survey, you know, it was, there was some alarming data that I don't think at this time, any of us are too shocked at, but now it's how are we finding the solutions? So when we slice that data or we do our data sort um, that Joe referred to, we can look at gender and kind of female inequities and about, their desires uh, for education benefits um, and how that might entice them to go back to the workforce. I just also wrote an article in Fast Company a couple of weeks about this and how we can serve women, how we can attract women um, back to the workforce through benefits and how we design programs for them. Um, another kind of alarming data point is, um, you know, around the desire for Blacks to have an education benefit and how that can um, help underserved 
first generation students as well, going back to the workforce um, and really get ahead. So a lot was focused on different populations um, and how we can better serve populations through education. Uh, while not in the report, we hear about this every day. Um, how can we look strategically, uh, not an, only by gender, race, ethnicity, age, but how are we looking specifically at underserved populations mm -hmm. and educating those populations about job opportunities? Um, I was uh, hosting a webinar with a few clients a couple of weeks ago in the healthcare sector and um, mentioned that they're going into schools, into middle schools and high schools. So as young as, right, 12 years old to mm -hmm. educate students in underrepresented areas about work in hospitals, work in healthcare, so that there's an understanding that you don't have to be a nurse or a doctor to go into healthcare. There's lots of options for you. And some of them you can go into right out of high school and earn your degree, earn your education for free as you work through these healthcare experiences. So, um, you know, I think I'm going a little off track in terms of our data, but kind of in response and how we put some of the, the data points to action, I think this kind of real focus around workforce education is making us think innovatively around how we help other populations and elevate them into the workforce and provide opportunity. And I don't, you know, I think that was a missing piece of the puzzle even three, four years ago. Um, Amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's so interesting to hear, hear, hear you talk that through. And yeah, the, the numbers to me were really shocking, uh, particularly yeah. as I relate to the disadvantaged workers. Just before I um, toss it back to you, Joe, one follow -up. I just have to ask if you just said shocking. Ah, I will. I'm electrified. Um, yeah. So speaking of the working learners, so Unmodel is a marketplace for community college um, mm -hmm. programs that what we've done essentially is reduce learning to the most basic element of a course. So what's the course that's going to get you a better job? or onto a pathway. And, and so the people we're targeting, those in the model, air quotes, um, are people who don't have the money, don't have the time, don't know the ROI. And I guess, you know, with the sort of notion that not everyone needs to be kind of shoved into the traditional middle-class higher ed pathway. And I'm mm -hmm. curious, as you're having your discussions with existing and potential clients about solutions, to what degree do you see a shift away from the more traditional, gotta go get your bachelor's, master's, PhD, et cetera, et cetera, to you know, the kind of things you were talking about, like, hey, there's all these great jobs and allied health and, yeah. you know, and, and you know, technician jobs and IT and infrastructure, where you can kind of get on a track and, oh, by the way, find a good employer that's gonna pay for you to keep advancing. Do you, I mean, do you, do you see that trend growing and growing? And if so, yeah, I'm aware. Definitely. Um, so 60%, there, there's a lot that goes into these, this matching and working with the company and, and higher ed institutions, um, community colleges, educational, you know, partners. Um, but about 60% of our clients actually allow for what I'd say, so non-credit bearing courses or skills-based certificates. So that's a big push, like to educate our clients around the need and the solution that these types of learning experiences can provide to the future and current workforce. So we're always having conversations 
um, around that, around those bite bite-sized chunks that all of us in this field, I'm sure Joe's familiar with. We've been talking about stackable education right. for years oh, and yeah. really trying to educate around that. Um, but another point to that, Julian, is we've I've seen an increasing amount of conversations around that. Um, kind of exclusivity doesn't equate to quality and a better understanding of why certain institutions be, fit the needs for working busy adults. And that's really exciting to me because, yeah, <laughs> um, as we all know, going back again, I'd say going back even three, four years ago, that wasn't, I always say like me at the adult learning or online institution, I was like, the weird kid in the corner on campus. Mm -hmm. We were never really a part of the, the mix, a part of the fold. And so it's really exciting for me to see that, you know, our society as a whole reflected in our corporate clients are recognizing different forms of learning. Um, and then that, that's really more than an acceptable um, way, educational opportunity. Yep, that's great. Well, um, guys, you know, I hate to say this, but this is the point Well, I actually love to say it. So this is a part of the episode and I like to ask a little bit of a curveball question. If you've listened before, you know what's coming. Since Julian's a first time host, he also gets to play the game here. And <laughs> um, are you ready, Julian? Are you ready, Jill? I'm so ready. I'm ready. For no money to Jill, no money to Julian, zero money. We have zero money here at the End of Experience, but I'm going to ask anyway. Jill, you get to answer your pick of these two questions just to tell us a little bit about what your personality is like. Number one, if you choose to answer, what is your entrance music, Jill? What's that song playing every day when you walk into the office or when you walk into a conference room or when you're giving a commencement speech that introduces you to the audience? What song resonates with you? Or number two, tell me about the dream vacation you couldn't take during coronavirus that you need to take now. Ooh both such great questions i'm gonna have to go with question number one um i was hoping you would say that because my daughter actually likes to talk about my walkout music and what she thinks i'd be walking out to at a conference a speech anything so i am a huge swifty a taylor swift fan and she and I agree that I would walk out to the man. <laughs> okay. I love it. Why'd you pick that song? Uh, the whole, well, to me, the whole song is about kind of some of the complexities of being a female leader and the, the kind of hats you have to wear. And sometimes um, if you lean in a little too hard, you're, you're seen as nasty. Um, other times you're appreciated as a strong female leader. So um, I just, I love the whole context of the song and it's fun. It's got a good like swagger walkout beat to it. Fire, fire. That's a fire. I like that. Julian, you get the vacation question. Okay, the vacation question that that was pretty easy. I was sort of my brain started answering it before you even finished Costa Rica. Definitely. Uh, you know, I just got to get I, especially with the cold weather coming on the craziness in this country to to a, get to a place that is beautiful that just seems so sane where everyone seems happy. Don't know if you've ever been there, but it's definitely my my go to place for No, but aren't you in Arizona? No, I'm in Rhode oh. Island. 
Oh, Rhode Island? Yeah, Rhode okay, Island. Okay, then that makes a lot of sense. I thought you were in Arizona. I was like, the cold? No, no, no. I mean, who do you Cold. Think? No, no, no. Arizona, no. Well, that's uh, that's great, and thanks thanks for that. And Jill, I, you know, I hate to say it, but you you bring up um, you bring up a really good point about being a female leader in higher ed. And you've um, you know anybody wants to take a look at your your um, LinkedIn profile that see will see you've been faculty. <coughs> excuse me, you've worked for the online learning consortium, academics, digital strategy, online online ed. What are the barriers for for women in the workforce right now, especially in higher ed, and and in your role now, in working with organizations? Is it is it putting you in a funny place now because you're playing dual roles, or because there's imposter syndrome? Because you've got to, I mean, what does that look like for you to balance all that? Wow, Joe, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to. Um, I was just out of my mind. I'm like, how do I even distill that down to a question that makes sense? And it, it, so, it doesn't. It's just more like, what are you dealing with now? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think I'm at the finally, I'll say, at the point um, in my career and in my life um, that I'm a bit over the imposter syndrome, but definitely that is fierce in academia for female, younger female. I mean, I was fortunate to start teaching at a fairly young age, but there's also a lot of um, age inequities, I think, in academia and how can you teach if you're young, that type of thing. Um, but in terms of, you know, where I am now, I've just, I've, I've had so many amazing opportunities and they really come through kind of, some of them sheer will, grit, the, the kind of athlete in me that really wants to persist and, and um, do amazing things and have an amazing impact on so many learners. And so being here right now at Ed Assist has really just allowed me to kind of shine on so many levels and be really confident in my knowledge base and everything that's gotten me here. I know that sounds super cheesy. It sounds like I'm at an Oscar show or something, but every day, no matter, uh, we were talking about how many meetings we've all been in, like no matter the meetings, no matter the challenging conversations or who those conversations are with, um, I just, I honestly feel so blessed to be in a position to be not only impactful, but to move beyond any kind of imposter syndrome that there was. Um, and also to start thinking about how to be mentoring um, younger women in the field. I had some really strong female mentors right from the get-go that I'm just so fortunate. So I feel like I'm in a place now um, to be able to give back uh, and help women find the confidence in themselves to have to be impactful and to move their careers forward as well. Lead Squared isn't only an enrollment CRM. It's a technology that will allow you to optimize your entire front-end student lifecycle by providing decision makers with real-time customizable dashboards. Forecasting, measuring, and optimizing for key activities will increase retention and revenue, and Lead Squared will lower technology costs simultaneously. Not only can Lead Squared align with existing admissions processes, but the technology will also help you innovate beyond what you thought was possible. The ability to access data on your phone will keep you connected, and when you add in the world-class customer service, Lead Squared transcends being a technology. It's an experience. Check them out at leadsquared.com. That's great. Uh, I appreciate that. And boy, I agree with you. The ageism thing is almost more rampant than anything else. 
I happen yeah. to have the benefit of being extremely young. So, um, <laughs> but I'll tell you as I've progressed through my career and somebody goes, so what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a university president in the future. And they're like, how old are you? You can't be a university president until you're old and gray. Why? Why is that? That's what yeah. makes higher institutions old and gray. Anyway, don't get me on my soapbox. Um, Absolutely. You know what I mean? And and I'm like, come on, give me a break. Um, uh, you know, 20 years of high, I started in higher ed when I was barely out of college. And, and, you know, it's just funny how how things work and what the traditionalism is. And I know it's funny, the threesome on this, this podcast is all about non-traditional. And, you know, one of the questions um, that comes up all the time, Jill, is what is the value of a higher education and how does business and industry I don't know, calculate or, or, you know, communicate that value to their employees, if at all, what is it, what are you seeing at Ed assist that from, from organizations, are they coming and saying, Hey, look, we can't keep our employees. There's a real battle for talent. We want as much education as we can get. Cause we get our hooks into them for four years or six years or master's degree, whatever. Or is it, Hey, look, we need to offer everything and anything we could think of to keep our people and do it. It is extremely low or at zero cost because literally we can't find good people. I mean, where's the balance and what is the, what are the employers saying about higher ed? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a mix right now. Some of it is that we've got to do this. We've got to attract talent. We've got to do anything we can. I think, there's another group that it's about, we have really good employees. We know the world is changing due to automation and other factors. And we wanna keep these good employees and give them the skills they need to meet the future of the workforce. Um, and you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking, not research yet, but I've had a couple of conversations around education benefits as being a real, um, more of a psychological benefit and creating a tie, um, a um, sense of allegiance to that employer because it can often be done in a real thoughtful way. Like I mentioned with these pathways, like being able to give choice for that employee to see, I'm making $10 in the gift shop now. And in two years from now, I could have an exciting career and my employer wants to invest in me to do that. Like there's, I think there's just something more psychological there than the typical healthcare 401k, you know, maybe even a gym membership. So it, you know, I, I hope that that's true. Um, I hope that pans out. And um, we definitely see that the majority uh, that there's always a question around if we offer this benefit, are we going to retain um, our employees. And I loved one of our client, our large clients, um, who are, are very outwardly facing in, in their state. They said, look, they're members of our community. So we hope to retain them for a number of years, but if not, we're serving our community by offering this education benefit. Um, and we're going to see them around town. We're going to see them around the state. And so we're not only providing this benefit, um, you know, to, to better our company, but we're also providing it, you know, for the better societal good, um, and our, the better local good. So I think there's a lot, there's also so many conversations. There's so many ways I could take this question, Joe, but there's, you know, education. Well, you have an open mic here, Joe, you can just crush it. <laughs> well, I mean, education, I think has always been seen as the great equalizer too. So in looking at, as we talked a little bit before, Julie, and looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, like 
talk about using that education benefit to do that and to blur some of the lines and to elevate some of the positioning in those areas. I mean, it's just a phenomenal opportunity for, for corporations to better understand that. And I think it, it is kind of that, what you put in, you get out. So kind of the reliance on us to be the innovative creators around like what would really work best for your company is pretty cool. And it takes that heavy lift off as opposed, or as opposed to just saying, yeah, we have an education benefit, go to one of these six schools. So it's really thinking dynamically around the needs of the employees, the need of the employers and being able to offer that, which I think gets back to that um, really uh, amazing benefit that can help attract and retain. Yeah, it's in interesting um, hearing, hearing, I love the way you, I love the way you riff. <laughs> Jill. Um, no, it's great. It's so resonant uh, with so much of what I've um, experienced. And, and one of the things of that, um, like, I do think there's a, you know, I've spent more of my time on kind of like the higher ed policy, nonprofit, think tanky side. And I do think there's a sense in that world, like, there's definitely a, a belief that uh, I think a growing realization and that that workforce development it's all it's got to be demand driven it's got to be about like well what's actually needed to perform this job or run this business well but that there's also this sense that somehow the employers are all knowing all seeing and we just have to respond to them and and i guess i'm interested yeah. to hear you talk a little bit about like you know again going back to the the like the dark report you you issued um, about you know like one of the things we find for example is that lots and lots of employers that say they want to diversify um are just like running out job descriptions that may have been written 30 years ago. You know, they like, they hire from the people they know, they go to the same channels they know, they write job descriptions that are all have like bachelors something as the entry level. And when you really begin to dissect the jobs, very often they're, they don't require all that education or training just to get started. So I'm curious. So I think like there's a lot of work to be done on that end with the employers. And I'm curious to know how your, how your organization handles that. And, and, and do you find you're, you're doing a lot of education for the employers and how to really, you know, how to, how to, how to build a, uh, an effective workforce? Oh, definitely. I, I feel like that's one of the ways that our clients can um, rely on us and kind of take some of that guesswork out of what they're doing. Um, and, we, you know, I can use a couple of, I actually have a couple of examples close to home. So we are um, part of the 110 initiative. And in doing that, we've agreed to at Bright Horizons to have pathways into Bright Horizons in which there's job openings for um, you know, entry-level jobs that um, do not require a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree. So in doing that, we had, you know, we had a group really thinking about like, let's look at our job descriptions for these three categories. Do they really, do you really need this level of education? Um, for this job, could you hire someone who is is been working to um, working to complete that type of education needed? And what are those tracks? How could we change how that looks? So that was pretty eye opening, Julian. And we've done that. I've had some conversations with some of our clients about really thinking. We use MZ Burning Glass data a lot to look at. Like this is. These are the job openings you have. These are the requirements. Do these jobs really need those requirements? Could you be hiring um, 
hiring uh, with a high school degree and not an associate's mm -hmm. degree. Uh, so that's been that's been really informative, and I think really moves the needle in a lot of areas. Um, we also, you know, we have we kind of walk the talk at Bright Horizons. I love to say that. Um, I got in a little bit of a debate with um, David Blake at ASU GSV on a panel, and I said, "Hey, mm -hmm. we have our own program. We actually do this. So we hire, uh, we recruit um, some of our for our early child care centers directly mm -hmm. out of high school." Um, and we provide 100% free education. So it's a, there's a certificate, associate's degree, bachelor's degree. We use a combination of, um, of like low cost, no cost, and then the actual degree program. So we're really like incubating from within at Bright Horizons and learning all of the, the hiccups along the way or the speed bumps and then trying to flatten them out for some of our clients. So. Yes. You know, it's really been eye-opening, and I think not as much so for me because my background is working with this population, but for others that are used to a traditional environment saying like, wow, we didn't need to have a bachelor's degree requirement for this job, or wow, like look at our center teachers who are teaching during COVID and then going home and trying to get their degree as a single mom, you know, so it's been, I think, you know, this is like a great you know, we call it the great resignation, but in some ways, I think we could be looking at it as a great awakening in terms of, um, you know, people realizing that there's different ways to complete education. There's different stressors on different types of learners, and you know, there's there's different requirements for jobs. Yeah, and one size doesn't fit all. Absolutely. Well, I you know, so I do have one. Um, question that for me is a little close to home, Jill, which is, so one of the, um, one of the values of Unmodel, we hope, we believe, is that we become a single stop for accessing kind of a, a network of community colleges. Um, <laughs> and this is, you know, particularly attractive to, you know, large, a large, um, you know, large employers, as, as one um, CHRO of one of the, uh, I don't know, top five Banks said to me, "We love working with you know, the community college in our in our home our home uh, city, but trying to you know form partnerships around the country wherever we where we need to has been death by a thousand cuts." <laughs> and I guess um you know and then nothing against I mean I come out of community colleges I love community colleges but you know they're not always easy to work with they're sort of a massive you know uh, bureaucracy at times and they're they may do well in their regions but they don't really necessarily know how to work in a kind of national or globally competitive marketplace. How does this stack up with what, what you all find and your approach? We have, um, we've seen that a lot in the healthcare sector. Um, you know, many would like to go to their local community college. We have a program right now where we're seeing, um, we, it's called Bright Horizons Fast Track and students are able to complete uh, as many general edu education requirements as they'd like um, at a very low cost. So once they complete, so we have a lot of healthcare partners um, putting their aspiring nurses in that program. Once they complete, they're looking to go to a community college, not a large national online institution. Um, so that's been interesting in regard to the fact that we have many community colleges in our education network, um, but we do, we negotiate with schools based on the, the, the student needs. So. Definitely the outreach to community colleges have been different, but we're very 
aware that students have a sense of place and if they're most comfortable in their community, um, they're probably going to you know, be likely to succeed there. Um, so limiting student choice has never been, has never been something that we've looked to do. Um, and, I, you know, in terms of community colleges playing a role, I do think maybe the past two years, and we've, we've all been so home-based, I really hope that there is kind of a resurgence in what's happening. There's so many, as you mentioned, allied health before, I mean, there's so many community colleges that can be um, answering the needs there or some of the um, more hands-on learning, the practical learning um, that we're looking for. So kind of reinvigorating that call to community colleges. We have a couple, we, we do phenomenal amount of work with the Alamo colleges down in Texas. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah they're just, they're a phenomenal partner. Um, we have a couple of other large community college networks, um, but you know, being able to spread the wealth and increase student choice and elevate the positioning of community colleges, I think is, is really important in the future for higher education. All right, Jill. So I, I want to know how my university, I'm, I'm an everyday uh, administrator, not in the Edisist group of institutions. What do I, I need to do to work with Edisist or be a part of Edisist and offer my education to employer partners? Like, how does that work? If I'm just sitting around going, why am I not working with Jill? I mean, isn't that what everyone's saying, Jill? It's one of, you, you want me to sound a, find a sound effect for that, Jill? I think I can. Um, maybe next here's one, here's time. One. Oh, yeah. That's right. Why aren't we all working with Jill? 10 years ago, when we were growing our ed education network, it was all based on employer demand, employee demand, and just growing, growing, growing. Um, we've had, I have had an increasing uh, focus on looking at which schools have high quality. If not, can we help them, you know, through the online learning consortium or other efforts, increase quality measures. That's a, that's a global idea for my, for me. Right. But um, in working with schools that want to partner with us, it's typically a conversation, Joe, and thinking about like, what's your niche? Like, what can your school bring to our workforce? Can you fulfill a You're certain vetting need? the school. You're essentially vetting the school. Going, yeah. But also I don't, uh, well, the, the thing is, we could sign on every institution, but if a student's just going to hunt and peck and, and maybe find the institution, it doesn't really work well. Where I'd rather go through the programs, our high need areas, and say, you know what, this is an awesome fit. Let's put it in a pathway. Let's elevate you on our platform. Let's understand, like, do you have... We also look at, um, a lot of times I look at the five pillars of quality from OLC. Um, so do you have, you know... Are, can we increase access through students through your institution? Is it scalable? So Joe, if I bring 400 students from one of our large clients, can you have the sections available? So there's a lot of questions we go through under kind of those quality pillars too, to ensure it's a good fit. Um, because we do have instances where there's high employer demand and we wanna have that list of schools running in our head that we can send students to. So as opposed to just signing institutions on with the thought that they're gonna have some huge enrollment yield, um, we like to really be thoughtful about the partnership and how it can be beneficial. Right, because you could see why an institution wants to work with you immediately, right? Because right. they wanna increase their enrollment pipeline, access to employers, so you have so much of the leverage. How often do you say, mm, nope? 
how often do you turn universities away? Um, I actually did that a couple of weeks ago, but it was more about talking about a couple programs and I it was honest and I said, you know what, those two are really interesting. If you can get more of the classes online as opposed to just being blended, we can offer that more broadly where otherwise we're really localizing it. So it was more of a realistic conversation about like, let's see what we can do with the program design and then come back and have a conversation. Um, so can it be program-based? And so so each, mm-hmm. and this is for the audience here. So if I'm sitting around going, okay, I think I think my program's unique enough that Jill, Jill will bite on it, but it's just this one program. So I come to you with the one program that my university has created that resonates. I don't bring you a slate of programs or do I, or is it, are you looking more for variety amongst your offerings through Edassist? That's a good question. I mean, we have some tried and true schools, Joe, to be honest with you, that we know have high student, you know, I mentioned the Alamo colleges. I'll also mention Western Governors University. I mean, they have phenomenal retention, graduation rates, and know how to serve adult learners. So I can sleep at night knowing that we're sending students there. So also part debt, of that debt, low debt, low debt yield, low and debt that's for too. the casual student, right? Yeah. And, but I will also say that's a focus on a certain learner, right? We can, and a large population of learners, but then we also have clients that are looking for solutions for very specific areas for master's degrees. Right. And so, you know, we, we have some partnerships with very elite um, engineering programs because that's what some of our clients need. And that's how they're, um, they're filling roles and retaining their talent through those um, institutional pipelines. So sometimes I look really, we look really broadly to fill the large need. Other times it's looking really narrowly at that one, two, three programs that we really need. I mean, when we look at healthcare pathways right now, those high need areas might only be filled by a few by a few learning opportunities because just not everyone has the the critical mass in that type of programming. It's good to know that, Riley. It's good to know that if you're you're sitting a, uh, and you're listening to this to the university administrator, you're just going, "Why, why can't I do that?" You know. Well, and, I think and the it's- other thing is I, that's our model. We work with institutions to drive down the cost for students. So we typically, all of our institutions give somewhere between a 10 and 40% discount. So we ask that institutions pass the discount to the students. Um, So that's one part of the formula um, as well. So it's having that conversation, but you know, a lot of institutions would say, wow, I could work with Edisist and give a 10% student discount. I feel better about doing that than working with a company that's going to charge me 50% of all my enrollments, but I don't want to be misleading and say, we're going to get you all those enrollments either. So it's really, it's an interesting enrollment game in higher ed right now, as you know. Oh my gosh. If there was ever going to be, if there was ever going to be a mic drop moment for the episode, that would be it. (laughs) Enrollment is the thing, right? And it's getting harder and harder to do, which leads me to my last two questions. Um, normally, I ask my co-host, uh, Julian, if you have any additional questions, I say normally I ask my co-host if they have additional questions. And so I'm going to do that to you today, Julian, because we're running out of time for Jill. So if you have a quick one, slide it in. Yeah, no, no, please. Bring All us right, on then. home. 
I'll give her the final two questions, Jill, that we give to every single guest that comes on the Edip Experience podcast. Number one, what did we miss about Edisys that you were hoping that Julian would ask you about today? But since it was his first co-hosting gig, he just totally blew it. Um, anything you want to plug, say, website, anything. And then number two, what does the future of higher education look like? Um, I think I plugged Edisys really well, but I hope it just I hope it's more of my excitement and Everyone that listens can find me on LinkedIn, can, you know, go to the Bright Horizons website and learn about um, all of our wraparound supports, how we serve not only adult learners, but um, all stages of life. Um, Future of higher ed. You know, from my background, I am going to say that some of the shifts I think are here to say, here to stay um, in that first for high school students that are smart and are interested in going right into a job and can get their degree for free as they work, why not? I think we're going to see a large shift in that. I think, you know, the, the consumer side of higher ed is going to look a lot different. Sure, there's always going to be that traditional path, but for a lot of learners, you know, why not work for a large corporation? be exposed to a variety of opportunities and, and possible jobs within that, that corporation and get your degree for free. And I think that's that model is going to continue to expand. Wow. I, that's great. I don't think anybody's hit it quite like that before. And I think that's so true. Well, there you have it, ladies and gents. Julian, thank you so much for joining us today on an experience episode. What'd you think of your co-hosting gig today, my friend? Oh, I'll, I'll have to um, read the reviews, but I really enjoyed the conversation with you both, and I hope you'll have me back to co-host another time. Everybody go easy on Julian. It's his first time. Give him good good notes. Jill, what do you think about Julian? Good notes? Was, wow. Joe, I'm just so, I'm thankful. Uh, like me, you're a great connector, and I feel, um, I'm really grateful to have met Julian today. I'm sure we're going to have future conversations. I hope so. You guys are, are both amazing. Of course, my guest co-host today, Julian Alcide, he's Chief Marketplace Engagement Officer at Unmuddle. And most importantly today, my guest, she's Dr. Jill Bubin, Vice President and General Manager at Edison Solutions at Bright Horizons. Go find them on LinkedIn, ladies and gents. They're both there, both active. Connect, connect, connect. This has been another episode of the Edip Experience Podcast. There you have it. You've just ed upped. The Lead Squared integrated CRM functionality will put your institution at the front end of marketing and enrollment strategy by delivering a streamlined admissions process. Capture student interest, segment your audience, create student engagement workflows, and even integrate with your student information system to create longitudinal key performance metrics you've always wanted. You can do all of this and lower your technology costs. Check out leadsquared.com for more info.